How's it going, everybody? Uh, I know it's been a few weeks, but I'm going to get back into the saddle. Uh, welcome back to the unofficial WCC Hoops podcast. I'm Zach Farmer. Um, got a got a lot to kind of get into. Um, the big one for this episode is going to be uh, talking with Bryant West. He's a writer, NBA draft analyst uh, at the Kings Herald. Uh, he's also one of my old classmates from St. Mary's. So we'll get in it with him about uh, the St. Mary's season, uh, recapping that, but then also the draft prospectus of um, a number of the WCC guys who are going to be involved, obviously, the, the contingent of Gonzaga players, but also diving into some of the other uh, WCC guys who are going to have at least a look uh, by NBA teams uh, in the next couple months. But first, just a few things. Um, uh, big news today as I'm recording this, um, Logan Johnson, the St. Mary's guard, will be returning for another season, uh, which is great news for the Gales. Uh, the, obviously one of the best defensive players, uh, not only in the conference, but in the country. Uh, that's huge news for them and secures at least one of the backcourt spots going into next season. Obviously the point guard spot is the one still kind of out in the open there with Tommy Cousy um, exhausting all of his uh, eligibility. And then the other big news that came out today, uh, there are now sources out of the BYU camp. Uh, well, this part is not sources. Uh, both Caleb Lohner and Gideon George are have put themselves into the transfer portal. And the sources are now um, are starting to say that both of them, if they do return to college basketball, because they did put both of their names into the draft, uh, they will not be returning to BYU, which obviously is a huge blow uh, to the chances for BYU next season. And even worse with this being their last full year in the WCC before they head off to the Big 12. I'm just off the top of my head. I mean, Barcelo's gone, uh, <clears throat> George gone, Loner gone, uh, Baxter gone. BYU is going to be hurting, uh, especially early on. Uh, they're going to have to hit the transfer portal hard uh, for, for them to kind of get back into the mix uh, to be an upper echelon of the WCC. Keep in mind, this is a team that finished fifth this past season. And then also adding their name to that uh, draft class uh, was Julian Strother, uh, the Gonzaga small forward. Uh, he has all of the skills that you would want out of a of an it. He has the look of an NBA player. I think he still has, uh, I think he could still work on a few things before he makes the leap. And he, to this point, does not, we don't have word on whether or not he's hired an agent or he's maintaining his eligibility or whatnot. If he does come back to Gonzaga, um, I think he's going to learn a lot and he's going to be one of the best players in the league come next season. And then the big news uh, that, not news, but like the, the big rumor that was trending a couple of weeks ago was the, move, the potential move of Gonzaga to the Big East. And this is a rumor that's been out there a few different times over the last decade, uh, Gonzaga going to the Big East. And yeah, it makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons uh, that they could potentially be, that they fit on a basketball front. Uh, they're, they're competitive enough. They, draw, they have the resources. They draw enough of a TV audience. 
the travel is obviously the one big concern. And I know there are a few other sources, a few other podcasts who have um, kind of negated the idea of that being an issue. But I think it's more not necessarily on the basketball front. It's what, what happens to all their other sports? What happens to baseball? What happens to tennis? What happens uh, What happens to soccer? What happens to these other sports? Because there's a possibility that, as we've seen with other conferences and other uh, schools do, is that one team joins a different conference and the rest of them stay. So that that's a possibility for what Gonzaga could have with the WCC as men's men's women's basketball go, but then everyone else stays put and competes still in the WCC. But I want to kind of take a step back because I think there's been plenty of talk about the Gonzaga front and and honestly, like if I'm going to say it's like it, it's the right move if they go. And if they go, when they go, because it sounds like if if the if the reporting, um, if we're following the reporting, it sounds like if this move happens, we're not going to see this until like 23, 24, or 24, 25. So let's follow the dominoes. Next year, BYU leaves and goes to the Big 12. So that's 22-23. The following year, if, say, it's a first-case scenario, 23-24, Gonzaga leaves. If the tea leaves are there, if what we know about about BYU, and if Gonzaga follows suit and jumps ship, what's keeping St. Mary's in the WCC? And I know that this is, is not been brought up at all, really all that much. I've had some conversations with some, <clears throat> some people about this kind of, kind of off the cuff, but this is, I think there, it's a discussion that needs to be had about what happens to St. Mary's if those two schools go. So let's take the scenario they stay in the WCC. They become the clear favorite every single year, or at the very least they would for the first few years. But what happens to the TV deal? Gonzaga is the big draw for for the ESPN TV deal. Any WCC fan will acknowledge that fact. Everyone in the WCC would acknowledge that fact. Without them, what happens to that deal? Do we start to see the TV deal of the likes of, say, a of what the Big East has, which is more or less like ESPN Plus and then some other smaller networks? Are competitively what happens to the recruiting? Because part of the sell, part of the part of the sell of coming to the WCC is that you get the play you get to play three top 50 teams, three largely a lot of times top 30 teams in Gonzaga, St. Mary's, and then also uh, BYU, this year USF. What happens to the conference as a whole? I think it's sad to say, but I think what you're gonna start to see is that the WCC without the competitiveness of a Gonzaga and the, the exit of BYU, 
is that we slowly, the conference slowly and slowly starts to march backward toward what, say, the Big East, or sorry, the Big West or the Big Sky are, which are, let's be honest, low major, low major um, conferences. St. Mary's has built the program up enough that they're going to be attractive, I think, to somebody. And maybe this is the time that St. Mary's needs to take a look at what, what its future is in the WCC. And I'm sure that some of these conversations have happened inside and uh, that there's some, some sort of outlook of what, what those different scenarios could be. And as much as like, I know like we, that the conversation of, oh, Gonzaga to the Mountain West has made no sort of sense. The conversation about St. Mary's to the Mountain West, if Gonzaga leaves, I think makes a lot of sense. And the Mountain West competitively would be a big step up without from the WCC without the likes of Gonzaga and BYU. And I think that's the way you have to look at it. Now think of this conference as not the, the 10 team conference it currently is constituted. Think about this as an eight team conference without those top, without those big programs there. Because that eight team conference then consists of St. Mary's, Santa Clara, USF, Pacific, Portland, LMU, Pepperdine, San Diego. And even if we look at what, what those teams are today, what they were even this last year, this past season, a season in which what in which the metrics said that this was the best this is the best season the conference has ever had. That means you would only have three top hundred teams, two top 40 teams and everybody else is sitting at 150 or below. Five of your eight teams are 180 or below, 150 or below. We've seen LMU go up and down, even with the conference as constituted. We've seen Pepperdine have its, no pun intended, waves of up and down, up and down over the years, but no sort of consistency. We've seen San Diego have the same thing. We've seen Pacific do it. Santa Clara and USF as well. St. Mary's would be looking at a scenario that is not favorable in the long term if they stay in the WCC at once a Gonzaga departure is announced. I think it would be time to scramble. I think it would be time to, to try to find the other solution. The Mountain West obviously makes the most geographic sense. But I would say this, of I, if you know those conversations are starting to happen and you know the Mountain West might be not the ideal fit, Again, I have no source for this. I am just throwing this out there of, if you know Gonzaga, if the Big East and Gonzaga have had continual conversations, 
maybe it's worth it for St. Mary's to also give the Big East a call and work out a similar deal to that of Gonzaga. Because the travel for Gonzaga is going to be a little largely similar to that of St. Mary's. In fact, St. Mary's will be the probably the one that travels the furthest because they're even further west than Gonzaga. And maybe it's not all the sports, kind of like we've talked about the potential Gonzaga scenario. Well, maybe just the basketballs go and everyone else stays. I'm just trying to outlook this and think about this long-term and, and really like for, for the growth of the St. Mary's program, I think like they really have to look at the idea of if Gonzaga goes and BYU, we already know is going, it might be time to start shopping for a new home. All right. With that, we'll get into our NBA draft talk. So we're going to transition over and bring in Bryant West, writer and draft analyst for the Kings Herald. Uh, Bryant, how's it going? Zach, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's great to ha- great to have you. I mean, we haven't spoken in a, since before the pandemic, so like this is it's always great to be able to catch up with you. And uh, there's a lot to talk about here uh, on the WCC side as far as like the the draft and everything else. But let's talk about our alma mater first, uh, St. Mary's, and just the the difference between. Uh, how much, how surprised were you by the success of this year? What were your expectations going in? And just kind of, what were your impressions of what you saw? Well, this was clearly one of the more fun seasons of St. Mary's basketball in the last half decade. And at least for me, it really just came out of nowhere. Um, even when they beat Gonzaga and Moraga, I just kept thinking, man, this team just isn't anywhere close to the talent level of uh, that last great St. Mary's team that got to the Sweet 16, you know, the Delhi, Omar, Sam Hand, Mickey McConnell. Like, I didn't think it was anywhere close to that level, but yet wasn't this like the most quintessential St. Mary's team that Randy Bennett has ever had? Like, they just brought the best out of each other and produced the grittiest damn defense I've ever seen. And, and they just powered way past every expectation I had for them at every point in the season. Um, one thing that I love about Randy Bennett's coaching style is that since I graduated, um, I'm just, I've never been able to predict who's going to be the next guy um, who really makes the engine run. Like I never saw a tiny Jordan Ford becoming the Moraga Steph Curry. Um, I never saw Jock Landale morphing into a 21 and 10 dude and becoming the best player on a team that I think won an NCAA tournament game. Yep. Um, and then this year, like, I didn't see Tommy Cousy coming out of anywhere, even in February. Uh, he didn't have an efficient shooting season in his t- entire career and going from sixth man in conference play to being the best player and go-to score in their final 10 day- games. Like, that was incredible to watch. Um, I think my number one takeaway is I'm going to miss Logan Johnson, man. Well, miss Logan, him with anybody else. well, Logan could come back. He ha- he could, he's one of the guys who has 
the COVID year left to use. So we would see Logan Johnson back back next season. It's not a foregone conclusion that Logan's gone. It's not a foregone conclusion that Matthias Toss is gone. Uh, He could also return. Um, I I think that some of the impact of that could be what's actually happening um, in over in that region of of the world with what's happening with Ukraine and that could definitely impact uh, the because obviously he's from Estonia so like he's from one of the neighboring countries and that could be an impact of whether he returns or not Um, but the only one I think we know that is gone well the two we know that are gone for sure Tommy Cousy uh, Mm -hmm. and Dan Fotu as of I think I saw yesterday has signed with an NBL team so he is officially a pro player uh, back in Australia uh, so, so yeah, congrats to Dan Foto on that. Um, I, I think he's gonna, I think he's gonna find some pretty good success in that league. Um, but yeah, I'm, this team just seems so improbable even to me. Like at the beginning of the year, um, I mean, I still did pick them to finish third in the conference because I did want to see the likes of like Santa Clara or USF prove that they could be those next teams. And I mean, they were right there with with the mm-hmm. rest of the teams all the way through the season. And USF was so impressive to me. Santa Clara was really impressive. Obviously we'll get the Williams in a bit. Um, and I think it's showing just the growth of those teams. I do wonder about that. There's going to be a step back, how much of a step back there'll be with, uh, with at USF with Bouye being gone, Masalski being gone, uh, Todd Golden leaving for Florida. So like, there's a number of things that I think would be interesting there, but for St. Mary's like, it's, I have, there have been years I have just doubted how good this team could be. And I continue to be proven wrong <laughs> almost year in, year out on that front. Um, because, because the, just the growth and the player development that they had from a year ago to this year is just was incredible. We could talk about Tommy Cousy as I mean, the, maybe the prime example, but even Logan Johnson, even the course of this season of, of how his offensive game changed. We knew he had it defensively. Like he's, maybe like short of Chet Holmgren was the best defender in the entire league. And, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> and he's a guy that just like, like you knew that when the moment came, he was somehow going to come through. Uh, and it's kind of amazing to think that like that, that backcourt, now that you take us, we're able to take a step back and really analyze the, the koozie Logan Johnson backcourt. I mean, they're, they're as gritty and, as maybe any of the the backcourts we've had that we've seen under the Randy Bennett era from the from the Patty Mills's backcourts to the Mickey McConnell's to the Matthew Delvadova Matthew Delvadova's um, I don't know if any of them actually were as good defensively as these two no, and not close and I think that's the one thing that's incredible just like how over the last few years and I've talked about this a number of times that the personality of this team has changed from a team that was run and gun up and down the court you have really good half court offense to this staunch defensive team that we that we have not seen at St. Mary's really at all like this is the best defensive team that we've ever seen I definitely agree with that it's just a credit to Randy Bennett just how consistent this team is with how many different um, player types he just continues to keep this team at at you know near the top of the conference and uh that's a credit to him and his staff so whenever logan johnson and we'll start to transition to the draft part of it whenever logan johnson does leave whether it's this year 
or next year. It's like, is this a guy who has a, like, what's his prospectus at the next level, um, whether that be NBA, G League, overseas, wherever that is? Well, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a cup of coffee in the G League. Um, I'm sure that there's going to be teams that will see, you know, his athleticism, his defensive versatility, um, see his shooting numbers and, you know, give him a tryout. Uh, will I project that uh, he's going to get more than that? I don't think so. But, you know, there's there's so many great basketball opportunities out there that I'm not going to say never say never. Um, he's definitely like I'm never, ever going to forget. I'll be 70 years old and, and forget <laughs> my kids' names. And I'll be like, I remember that block and that Gonzaga <laughs> game. And I remember that dunk. So I'll, I'll always believe Logan Johnson uh, can surprise me. All right. So we'll, so we'll tra- transition into the draft now. And obviously like we're going to, this is going to be heavily focused on the Gonzaga players because those are where we have most of our WCC prospectus on that front. Um, and I'm not going to start with Chet Holmgren because I feel like we kind of know where Chet is and where he's going to end up. Uh, but there's a lot of other guys who are late second round possibly undrafted guys, a couple who could make a return uh, to school to, to hone those skills or whatnot. So I think one of the biggest question marks, and he did announce his eligibility for the draft uh, is Drew Timmy. Uh, We know like he's an incredible college player. He's been one of the best players in college, but the NBA game has also changed a lot. And Mm -hmm. to me, it seems that like he's not his fit at the next level might be tough. And finding that team that's going to find where he's going to find the right spot is also going to be difficult. I almost kind of like look at it similarly as what uh, Jock Landale was when he came out of mm-hmm. a school where he was a traditional back to the basket guy. Um, Drew Timmy's a lot, I think a lot more naturally talented than Jock Landale was, um, but kind of on the similar, similar line of either to traditional old school uh, big men where the NBA is moving further and further away from that. Yeah, well, just take a step back, like you said, uh, Chet's clearly the big name in terms of draft evaluation, but I'm very confident that this Gonzaga team is four other players who will all get serious looks from NBA teams. And I'll be shocked if at least one of them doesn't make a lasting impact in the league. It's just too talented a group. Um, To circle in on Timmy, I agree with you. His deficiencies, especially as they relate to how the NBA plays nowadays, they're pretty large. He's just not a dude who can guard outside of his position. Um, and college coaches just went at him in those big games. Um, Baylor just made mincemeat out of him a year ago, and, and I'm sure that's going to stick in every draft evaluator's minds. Uh, I didn't first, I didn't see any games this year that made me change my evaluation on his NBA defensive potential. Um, and while he's got a solid mid-range shot, I'm sure that NBA teams were hoping he'd show off more deep shooting this year. And that just wasn't something that either he or Gonzaga really prioritized. Um, I don't know. It's always impossible to make definitive. It's not going to happen statements on players who are as smart and dedicated and tough as Timmy is. And like, you know, Landale, he's carved out a a solid off the bench role in San Antonio. Mm -hmm. He's a, I think he's the third center there. So those kind of spots will be open. Um, I'm sure that plenty of coaches at the NBA level would love to have him in their locker room just to be, you know, a kind of an enforcer dude who makes their starting big men work in practice. But 
you know, I don't know that he has the modern versatility to find a real role in the NBA, but hey, good for him. Uh, his announcement sure reads like a dude who is ready to move on beyond the college game. Cool. So, because I'm also like, I've had this conversation with a few others about where, where is there benefit for him returning? Like what more could he do at the college level uh, to improve his draft stock? Can he improve his draft stock or, do, or what we see now is kind of about where he's going to be? I wouldn't, I, I was really expecting that he'd come out this year and take one and a half, two threes a game. Um, and his three numbers just didn't increase at all in terms of attempts and his success sure didn't change. Uh, if you told me he went back and, you know, I, I, I don't think that he's ever going to be a fast enough player to um, change his trajectory as a defender. But if he went back and suddenly was a 35% three-point shooter with attempt in it, with a attempt and a half per game, some teams might trust him more. But I don't really know. Is, is, is that more a function of the way just the Gonzaga offense worked? Is that they yeah. always have kind of like someone underneath? And yes. when you have Chet Holmgren, like he was going to be the guy, the four on mm -hmm. the perimeter rather than Timmy. Yeah, exactly. That it, it definitely, looking back on it, as soon as they signed Chet, and Chet was always going to be a dude who prioritized continuing to show his deep shot because, I mean, he needed to do that. He's not going to be a dude at the next level who's going to just – uh, thrive in the post up. Um, it, it doesn't surprise me that Timmy never got more threes. Um, and you'd know better than I, who they might be bringing in from either the transfer portal or their incoming freshman class. Uh, maybe it doesn't make sense again this year, but I mean, even if he doesn't get drafted this year, there's no way that Drew Timmy's not on either a G league team, if that's what he wants or, a priority signing in one of the overseas leagues. Mm -hmm. He's going to find a real serious job somewhere. All right, let's, we'll transition over to the, the this Gonzaga backcourt because, because Nebhar, Andrew Nebhar and Rashir Bolton uh, showed that they were obviously like one of the best combinations in, in the nation. Um, we, we know that Andrew Nebhard is maybe one of the smarter point guards out there. He's mm -hmm. one of the more crafty point guards. He's, but I know like some of the, some of the, some of the downsides to him is that he's not this uber athletic guy, like some of the others that we've have in this draft class. Uh, what, what's your impression of where Nebhard kind of falls in this, in this draft class. And because like, I think he was also kind of like with Timmy, like, I don't know if there's anything more he could do at the college level to be able to raise that stock. I definitely agree with that. Um, you know, I also think that it, it it's a lot easier for me to swallow defensive concerns when it's a, a, a point guard than it is a big man. Um, and it's it it's a lot easier for teams to probably sell themselves on, hey, let's get a really smart uh, third point guard um, who just did everything you could ask him to do on offense this year. Uh, I thought he was really the sneaky MVP of the team this year. Chet, Timmy got all the attention, but they this team doesn't go as far as they did without Nemhart's exceptional playmaking and that steadiness on offense, especially uh, in March. Um, I mean, after losing Suggs and Joel Ioi and uh, Corey Kispert last year, like they really needed this out of him. And I was impressed in every Gonzaga game I saw with his passing instincts, his demeanor. He looked a lot faster this year with the ball in his hands 
than I think I remembered either from last year or when he was back with Florida. Um, and that run to end the conference season in the tournament, like he averaged 15.7 assists and two and a half threes per game in March. That's a dude who's going to be either a late second or a priority undrafted free agent signing. And I just can't not see him impressing a coaching staff with just his demeanor, everything he does right on offense. And it's not like he's a dude who takes it off on defense or just doesn't understand what he's supposed to do, even if he's not a crazy fast athlete. Like Kyle Guy has an NBA role at the next level. <laughs> and I kind of, you know, Kyle Guy was more of a shooter. I don't want to pretend that those are equivalent players in terms of skill set, but like, there are roles in the NBA. There are a lot more roles for point guards who have some defensive deficiencies as long as they can do everything else on offense. Uh, Andrew Nemhart's going to have an NBA role. I'm really sure of that. Is there, is there maybe like a team, are there teams who are going to like maybe find like, or look at him as being ways to fit their system or like, obviously like maybe just a continuation of what they already have at the point guard position. Um, and then I'm also thinking of like, there are also a couple of teams in the league who have multiple Gonzaga players already on them, like <laughs> Memphis and Washington actually come into mind mm-hmm. um, as far as two teams that already have um, that know almost like are building or using guys who from that system are comfortable with that system. Um, and is so are there teams maybe specifically that kind of come to mind that might be good fits for Nemhard? Um, you know, to a certain extent, uh, I'm not going to say that any team is going to prioritize a back a, uh, a second round pick in terms of what they can do in their system, mm-hmm. unless they have an elite singular skill. And I'm not sure that I'm going to say Nemart has that, but you know, there's just going to be so many teams, especially in the later half of that, when you get into the contenders, like you're a Warriors fan, you tell me that Andrew Nemhart can't be either the dude who runs the offense in Santa Cruz or um, the the last guard off the bench? No, no, I mean, I if if they, I mean, we think about like some of the guys that they've had in the past, the Jarrett Jacks or um, <clears throat> I was trying to think uh, the Sean Livingston's maybe come mm-hmm. to mind a little bit more on that front. Um, obviously, like this is Sean Livingston post-injury and um, yes. Uh, the not the uber athletic Sean Livingston, but the very steady um, and cerebral Sean Livingston. Um, yeah, I mean, also I think it helps that Andrew Nembard will be a bigger point guard than yeah. most of the league has. I mean, what six four, six five, so he's going to mm-hmm. be a little bigger on that front. So that will also will give him a little bit more of an advantage to probably make his way onto a roster. Uh, all right, let's go to let's go to Bolton. I I think this is a harder sell for NBA teams because he is he's a scorer and yes he's he's a really he's a good three point shooter. Um, he can get to the basket, uh, but he is not a he's not your distributor. He's no he. I think we there's I think there's a harder discussion on Bolton on whether or not he's an NBA guy or this is this he's going to be looking for probably a role overseas somewhere. I wouldn't bet on an NBA role, but like he'll get a cup of coffee in the league. Um, one thing I, I really think that he did incredibly well this year, and I'm sure some scouting reports are going to highlight this, is just how well he transitioned coming out of Ohio State where he was 
the offense to he, like he did everything that Mark Few could have asked him to do. His touches and usage rank tanked, but I'm sure it'll stand out to teams just how seamlessly he made that transition. He just morphed into a catch and shoot, you know, few bounces and pull up shooter. And he did that with an insane efficiency. I mean, that's not kind of a surprise given that he was the fourth to fifth option uh, on every scouting report and had so many open shots, but that's not really a criticism because, I mean, you don't punish a dude for making them. Um, right. right. And in the yeah. NBA has a lot of guys who do just that. It's yeah. catch and shoot. And Rasheer Bolton's not going to be the focal point of another team's defense. No. So he'll have those open looks. Yeah. And teams always want microwaves. Um, I'm, I I bet you he'll make a summer league team and make some noise this year just because he's too good a shooter. He's too good a scorer at this level. And I'm sure it'll surprise some people just because – Gonzaga was so deep that suddenly this dude who was the number one option on a big 12 teams, suddenly the fifth in Gonzaga, but you know, that's credit to him. Yeah. Um, Is we're talking about as being that microwave player, that guy who could just like start to just give you like just bunches of points at one time. It's that kind of reminds me of like, of what patty mills is now like that's mm-hmm. kind of what his role has turned into and obviously like he's made a what he's going on year year 11 12 for him something like that uh 2009 yeah so 12, 13 geez 13 years 13 seasons <laughs> good lord uh and that just kind of like like because i think about guys like guys like that who could be the kind of like the mold or like the model for for a Rashir Bolton at the next level. Yeah, I, that, that's kind of a good comparison in terms of what he could be asked to do at the next level. And he's just such a tough dude. Like he's he may be undersized for the, you know, combo guard skill mm-hmm. set that he has on offense, but that sure doesn't show up on defense. That dude is one tough, tough guy. Uh, I, I really appreciated his defense a lot more than I thought I would this year. Um, so it, he's not a guy who's just going to make it happen on one end. Mm. All right. Let's, all right, let's get into the chat. And so I think obviously we know like he's going to be in that top five somewhere mm. for you, as you've observed him and seen, seen a lot of like these other top prospects, what, what do you see his ceiling as being? Is there is there a comparison for him? What I know, like the the comparisons are hard and, and maybe like he is the unicorn because like there may not be a quite the direct comparison, but are there parts of his game that remind you of, of others? And what's that, where it, how do you see him transitioning to the next level? You know, honestly, he's just one of the most unique prospects that I've ever seriously scouted. Um, And honestly, like, being on this Gonzaga team meant that he wasn't really utilized as the go-to player that so many of these one and done prospects normally are, but he was the best player on that team through what three fourths of the year. Um, it's really hard to stare at a seven, one dude who just moves like he does on both ends and be like, Oh, I know who he, who he reminds me of because he really doesn't. Um, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that watching him at Gonzaga made me think he'll be the go-to score on a really good offense. It's just not who he was. Maybe some of that is Gonzaga's system. I don't know. Um, 
but I think for him to get there, you have to have an extraordinary, really unprecedented growth as a scorer, and that's just not impossible. I'm never going to undersell a player who has his level of instincts on both ends, his toughness, his physicality. I think he's going to be much safer to expect that he'll be a secondary offensive threat who will thrive if he's placed next to a really strong creator or two. But his defensive skill set is just, he, to me, is the best two-way player in this class. Um, and I, I think that the national narrative of his, his size is just underselling how much of a damn alien he is on both <laughs> ends of the court. Like anybody who thinks that he's not going to have a role in the NBA, like just go watch that USF game in the conference tournament yeah. where he had that 30 second start to the game where he blocked Bouye on one end and then came back and did that spin move. Just like <sighs> the, the combination of those two things, the number of NBA guys who can do that isn't, incredibly high and the number of them who are seven one is even smaller um and i don't like making this comparison because it's it you can't make a, a wider comparison in terms of where they started at versus where they are now but mm -hmm. i remember when Giannis was drafted that dude was 196 pounds yeah. too and look at him i'm not sure that chet's body could handle the muscle growth that Giannis did but mm -hmm. I'm not going to say it's impossible. Right. And he, it doesn't even need to be a Giannis level transformation of his body. Like this could be like, no. add another 15, 20 pounds. And, and as much of a monster as Chet is now, he'd be even more of a one yeah. in a few years once he puts on that weight. And I think one of the greatest benefits of him is that at his size, you don't need to pigeonhole him in as the biggest big on your team. Mm -hmm. You don't have to pigeonhole him as he's got to play center because i think honestly if teams are or whichever team drafts him thinks hey he's got to be our five that's what we got to do that's just like limiting i think his skill set to me he would be best on a team that already has a big man especially if that big man isn't either a great rim protector or a good three-point shooter because those are the two things that chet's going to bring from day one and if you're asking Chet to sit in the low post and uh, you have to be the dude who's guarding Joel Embiid, you're the one who has to go out and stop Nikola Jokic. Like, I don't know that you're going to be as happy with him as mm -hmm. you would be if he's more, uh, a more of a free safety four who can come in and be the weak side rim protector or switch on to um, wings and guards with some regularity. Like, I'm mm -hmm. not going to say he's going to, go out there and be able to stop Kyrie or Steph Curry, but it's not out of the question. We saw how fast he is. A dude that size should not be able to move his feet as well or as quick as he does. Um, and the number last thing I'll say about his transition, he's just a tough dude. Like anybody who thinks he's too undersized for the position, just go watch how physical he is on both ends. 196 pound dude shouldn't be as tough as he is. Yeah. I mean, I was impressed with just his toughness throughout the course of the year. And yeah, that's like there, some people will point out it's like early, well, early in the year, he didn't play very well against uh, some of those tougher teams. Well, it's like, well, have you, did you watch him at the end of the year? 
because and like players grow. I thought that the Duke game was great. Year. I thought yeah. that Duke game was great. Right. My thing, like some, like I've heard people point out that like, I think it was the, uh, he didn't get a lot of minutes in the Texas game. You mean the game where Timmy scored 40? Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> yeah. I, they didn't need him to do much when Timmy was carrying the team that night. Um, but no, I like, I, I, full, I agree. Like I see, I don't, because I think there's this perception still that Gonzaga players don't do well at the next level because they still remember the Adam Morrison run and they still remember Austin Day and they still remember those Gonzaga players where you look at the last five years or so, you have, I mean, between Sabonis and Hachimura and um, Brandon Clark and Kispert, like the Gonzaga players now, Jalen Suggs, like they, the players now, they're legit guys in the NBA. Like they yeah. are they're hanging around and like Kelly Olenek is still in the league. <laughs> and so yeah. you have the Gonzaga guys are legit now. Like I, like I, all of that from 10, 15 years ago, like that's gone. Like using that as an excuse is just, just being very short-sighted and not looking in depth at what this, what this program is producing now. Yeah. And anybody who doubts chat because of, the conference play just clearly didn't watch any WCC games this year. Right. And yeah, he struggled against St. Mary's, but St. Mary's is also, was also a top 15, top 10 defense this year. Yeah. So yeah, there, he should struggle. Everyone should struggle against uh, that level of a team, which mm-hmm. we saw. I mean, Gonzaga did plenty of times. All right. So the one outlier we haven't talked about, the only other guy I think that has probably a legit shot right now. Well, we'll talk about, I think the USF guys, but Jalen Williams, I mean, Jalen Williams, especially um, throughout the course of the year, we saw how, how talented he was and how much he grew from last year to this year, but the back half of uh, conference play and into the postseason, he, he was so impressive. And so what was, what's your take on Jalen Williams and what's, where do you see him and should he, is he a guy who should stay in the draft or should he come back? Well, I thought he was best player on the best Santa Clara team in a decade, right? Mm-hmm. Like he elevated every single part of his game this year. Um, and it's kind of odd to go back and look at the stats from last year, because I know Santa Clara had to play um, in Santa Cruz and live out of a hotel. Um, so who knows how much that impacted him, but like, every part of his game just took a huge jump this year his shooting and overall offensive efficiency went crazy and he did that while he was being the primary initiator and the playmaker of the i think they were second in terms of points per game in the conference Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah um very strong pick and roll ball handler pretty dang low turnover rate considering how much santa clara asked him to do like he was their whole offense um, his shiftiness and creativity when he's going downhill is really impressive. Um, he shot nearly 60% at the rim in the half court and didn't have a single turnover when he attacked the rim in the half court. It was a crazy number right when I looked it up. Um, he had a lot of wow passes this year. I had to go back and rewatch that uh, Santa Clara win over St. Mary's. Um, mm. That 18 and 10 game, like he had so many great passes in that game. Um, and it's just not on offense either. I remember how physical he was against Tommy Cousy in that game. Um, his quickness, given that he's six six, really let him handle smaller guards in the games I watched. And he's very competitive on defense for a dude who had so much offensive responsibility. Um, 
assuming he gets the feedback on his draft sock that he's expecting and opts to stay in the draft, I would be shocked if he doesn't either get drafted or get a guaranteed two-way contract. Um, maybe, maybe even like a full guaranteed contract from the right team. He's just too versatile in too many ways that every NBA team needs right now. Um, is he maybe almost like the, the real sleeper in this draft because, because of the team he played for him, because of the, the conference he was in, because I mean, he, he was so impressive against the best of teams in yeah. this conference. Yeah. Uh, I, I sure think so. He's going to be one of my favorite second round options. Um, he's just his combination of dribble pass shoot on offense and size and quickness and aggressiveness on defense. Like you're not finding many dudes with that complete package. And, and if he gets undersold because of where he went to school, like good for whichever team snags him. You never know. Maybe it'll be the Nets and he'll join Steve Nash. He'll have the Santa Clara guys in the same <laughs> I'm, I'm sure Steve Nash is going to have them checking him out. And and we'll just go quickly over just like the the two USF guys, uh, Bouye and Shabazz. Uh, I, like they're, they were so good this year. I mean, this has been basically par for the course for them the last few years. Um, what's, what's, the, what's kind of like the potential situation for those two? I'm sure that there are a lot of teams who saw that Murray State game and thought, oh, yeah, let's go get Bouye into our uh, summer league team. Um, yeah, that was a great show for him. Uh, and honestly, just too good on offense not to get the same um, respect that anyone else, any other senior is going to get. Um, I'm not sure he'll stick around because, you know, there are – uh, so many players like him, uh, but man, I'm not down that dude's fire and determination. And if you're telling me that he carved himself out a, a role in a couple of years, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, Shabazz, I, I am a little bit more surprised to uh, hear that he's testing the waters. I mean, mm. good for him. Nobody should ever, every, every player should feel more inclined to go ask NBA teams about their prospects now that it doesn't hurt them that they can go back no matter what. Uh, but you know, he didn't have anywhere close to the efficiency that Bouye had. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, you'd know better than I, this is his team next year, right? If he stays. Should be. And honestly, like, I mean, I think that'd be a, it'd be a really interesting team next year if he does come back. I mean, you have, so him, Stefanini, Rish Wayne coming back. Uh, there, there's some good pieces on this team. And I think a lot of people do look at Rich Wayne as making that next step next year. Um, but also different coaching, well, not different coaching staff, but um, just a, I mean, they've had kind of like this transition over the last few years, like after Kyle Smith left and Todd, Todd Golden moved up and then Todd Golden has left. And so now uh, uh, Chris Lufson is now kind of in that spot. So at least there's some continuity on the coaching side. So I think we'll I think it'll be interesting to watch uh, USF next year because do I don't think they're going to be as good obviously as they were this year, but um, I don't think they're going to completely um, fall away. All right, so I think that'll wrap it up. Uh, thanks, Brian, for um, hanging out and talking talking NBA draft. Um, I know 
are, are you going to feel good or bad if the Kings have the opportunity to get Chet and add another <laughs> zag to your team? Or are you going to feel uh, like We've that? already got too many zags. I, I know it's going to happen. I've been expecting it since they traded for him that the Kings would get whatever pick necessary to pick Chet. And honestly, like, you know, that Kermit meme, that's just how I've been feeling for the last uh, – a couple of months i'll just i'll welcome these zag overlords if that's what's needed <laughs> to finally get my team my king's team back to respectability so well um thanks for having me on i gotta say that uh you being the sports editor when i was just a lowly freshman and you telling <laughs> me that i needed to uh be on the uh newspaper staff really was the catalyst of my uh sports writing career so thank you for that yeah i mean i'm, it, I'm where i am because of that yeah th i mean this is this is the fun part like this is where we could actually just have fun with what we do for work and everything else um for everyone out there uh follow uh bryant at bs west five on twitter um and then also the king's herald at the king's herald um, for all the other content um bryant thanks for hanging out and we'll definitely catch up down the road all right, and I'll do it for uh, this episode of the unofficial WCC Hoops podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite streaming service. Uh, give me a follow on Twitter at Posts by Zach. Uh, we'll continue to do um, more interviews and bring in more guests uh, throughout the course of the off season. Um, until then, I'm Zach Farmer, and thanks for listening.